Um, if you've got your Bibles, turn to 2 Timothy chapter 3 is where we're going to begin. But uh, before I begin, I've had several people look at me kind of odd because it's big, big Band-Aid. I don't know if you can see it there on my nose there. But anyway, I feel a responsibility to tell you what happened. Uh, I'll give you two options and you can figure out which one. Linnell, my wife, would you lift your right hand, please? No. Come on, honey, do what you did the other day, make a fist, women power and all, come on. Okay, that's one possibility. The other possibility is I had uh, a little spots on my nose from too much sun and the doctor had to remove it. And uh, you can choose to believe whichever you want, but bottom line, I'm okay. Uh, I wear a helmet when I'm around my wife now, so that one's taken care of. And uh, uh, no, anyway, he, he got it all, so I'm thrilled to be okay. Hey, I want to do a sh shout out before I get going today. I want to honor my sister-in-law today. Uh, Sharon, are you here? Why don't you stand up if you're here? Stand up. She's all the way hiding in the back corner. Let me tell you something about her. Sharon is an attorney in California, and uh, unlike Texas, Texas, we just signed a con Stand up a minute now. <laughs> Texas, we just signed a constitutional amendment guaranteeing that the government couldn't shut down churches. Well, in California, you remember we had lockdowns during COVID. We didn't meet together. Well, in California, it extended months and months and months while we in Texas were still here having church. And she filed suit on behalf of churches there in, in uh, the Bay Area. And, uh, and she took it all the way to the Supreme Court, U.S. Supreme Court, and she won. So we want to give you a shout out and say thank you for using... She's single, by the way, too, so. Uh, uh, <laughs> okay, to the Bible. I want to show you a picture here. It's called the Museum of the Bible in Washington, D.C. If you're ever there, you should see it. 430,000 square feet. Four years ago, it cost over $500 million to build. It was built by uh, uh, Steve Green, the founder of Hobby Lobby. And uh, uh, it's, it's incredible. Uh, it's got thousands of displays and artifacts of the Bible and the biblical era. I want to show you just a couple of comments about some of the curators and people that work there. The Bible as a historical artifact, if we look at it just in that way, is vital to understanding Western culture. The Bible as a book is more than just uh, a transmission of a narrative or an oral history or any kind of um, literary tradition. It is, in essence, the book of all books. It's the best-selling book of all time. It still has more impact than any other book ever written. The Bible is significant not because it's talking about itself, but because it's pointing beyond itself. Yeah, we could go on. But the question, the enormity of this, it's the largest Bible museum in the world, to my knowledge. Why would they spend so much money to educate people about the Bible? And the answer is quite a simple one. is because the Bible is the greatest book ever written. It is more copies of the Bible have been printed and digitized than any book in the history of the world. Simply stated, the Bible is the Word of God. Uh, I want to read the text for the morning, 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 15. Uh, Paul told his son Timothy, you have been taught the Holy Scriptures from childhood. And I want to encourage all you parents and grandparents, if your kids are uh, the only 
I don't want to say religion. The only teachings of the Bible, the only teaching about Christ, uh, the only teaching about God uh, that they're going to get is from what they get at home from family and then what they get in their church. Because there's nothing in our culture, in our society, that is upholding biblical values in culture today. If anything, what the kids are learning in, in secular schools and the media is opposite from what the Bible teaches. But his mom and grandma had the good sense teaching the Bible at a young age. And here's why. Because the Bible has the wisdom so that we might receive salvation by trusting in Jesus Christ. Salvation means saved from the consequences of my sin. Salvation means I go to heaven and not hell. I mean, no, that's more important than anything. But listen to verse 16. All scripture, the Bible, is inspired by God. In other words, God caused men to write the words that we have in this holy book. Um, and it teaches us what is true, and it makes us realize what's wrong in our lives. I need to hear this. You need to hear it. How many know America needs to return to the teachings of the Bible? We have lost our way. Uh, today, I'm going to overview the entire Bible. I did this about four years ago, and I feel to do it again. I want to give you an overview of the entire Bible from Genesis to Revelation. And I want to show you how it fits together. Uh, my uh, Bible has about 1,800 pages in it. My, the one I recommend you get is called the Spirit-Filled Life Study Bible. But, uh, uh, but, but I want to show you how it fits together. And the way this book fits together is through what's called the thread of redemption. And this has to do with our salvation. And I'm going to show you this thread as we go through the pages of the Bible today. God's Word speaks to modern society just as strongly as it did to the people that it was written to several thousand years ago. Its message is timeless. It is authoritative. It is absolute truth. The Bible is God's Word to us today. My presentation is going to be a bit different. If I'm going to try to go from Genesis to Revelation, I'm going to have to go quick. I've got a few more notes, so stay with me. If you have the app, uh, it's got the notes on it if you want to follow along. If not, just download that thing and, and do it with us. But uh, uh, my presentation will be a little, more, uh, a little less inspirational and a little more informative because I want to challenge your thinking. I want to help your thinking today so you'll understand uh, how, to, how this book fits together together and how it applies to our lives, uh, how we can teach its, me its message to other people. So let's jump in. I'm going to start with some Bible facts, and then we're going to go in the Old Testament. I'm going to summarize the books of the Old Testament, and then I want to spend a bit of time talking about the book of Genesis, the book of beginnings, and then we'll talk about the Jews, the key people there, particularly in the Old Testament. Then we're going to look at the New Testament. We'll look at an overview of the books of the New Testament, and we'll move from there. We'll talk about the life of Jesus, the book of Acts, and the book of Revelation. So let's hop in together. Uh, the Bible, uh, this one Bible that we call the Holy Bible, it's actually a compilation of 66 books written by 44 some odd authors over 2,000 years, yet having one singular message. It tells us about God. It tells us about the human race. It tells us about time. And it tells us about eternity. 
Two divisions in the Bible, Old Testament or Old Covenant, New Testament or New Covenant. Another word is dispensation, the old dispensation, the new dispensation. And when you read your Bible, you understand the Old Testament by first understanding the New Testament. For example, if you picked up the Old Testament and you started reading through Leviticus, you would see that chapter after chapter, page after page, they're sacrificing animals. And you might ask yourself, well, shouldn't we do that today? Well, well, what you, don't, what you may not know is the animal sacrifices were to cover or to atone for the sins of the people. And it was very much a part of the ceremonial law of the Jewish people. Whereas Christ Jesus, the Lamb of God, paid the sacrifice once for all so that there's no longer a need for a blood sacrifice to cover the sin of people. So you, read, you understand the old through the lens of the new. The old is still valuable, particularly it's not only valuable for history, but the foundation of doctrine, uh, for ethics, for character, for wisdom, uh, and certainly things that the New Testament does not supersede can apply in our life today. Um, the historical, uh, I used to call the Bible, uh, I would refer to a Bible story. And I'd encourage you not to do that because the Bible's not a storybook like Jack and the Beanstalk. The Bible is a historical record. It is, it is, there are more manuscripts that support the Bible from ancient antiquity than any other book in the history in the world. Well over 10,000 manuscripts, uh, fragments of manuscripts for the New Testament alone. Uh, but the Bible is historically centered in the Middle East. Think of the nation of Israel, and originally it was larger in its scope, but the Bible will also, its message, we'll, we'll see it go down to Egypt, we'll go down to Africa, we'll see it go upwards towards Asia, We'll see it go westwards throughout the Mediterranean world. But if there's a central message of the Bible, and I want you to hear me on this. If you were to say, Pastor, 1,800 pages, is there one sentence that tells us what this book is about? I would say yes. It is that God desires relationship with the people he created. He wants to be father and you are daughter or you are son. He wants relationship that begins on this earth and that follows us into eternity. But the Bible will also tell us how this relationship was broken. Adam and Eve sinned in the Garden of Eden and something changed. They, it was like a separation that happened. It's as if if you two people are standing together, Linnell and I lovingly, my left guard up and my right hand holding her. I'm just teasing. She's never hit me hard. No, she never hit me. I've never done anything worthy of being hit, have a honey? No, thank you. Anyway, we're standing holding hands on the Grand Canyon. All of a sudden, there's an earthquake, and the earthquake, you know, before the Grand Canyon separates it, and there's this great abyss. And you can't get across to the other side. You can't drive around it. You don't have an airplane. You're stuck. She's on one side. I'm on the other. That's what sin did to humanity and God. It separated us. And what Jesus Christ did through the cross is our reminder on the right. Jesus Christ paid the penalty for our sins. That is, he paid an obligation. It was like a car note or a house note that we owe and we don't have money to pay. He paid the penalty of our sins. And most importantly, he met God's requirements. 
Because it's not us that gets to decide what makes us right with God or how we go to heaven. It's God's requirements. And Jesus met those requirements and simply says to us that if you will believe in him and follow him, you can have eternal life. And in that, relationship with God is restored. Those that embrace him will go to a real place called heaven one day. Those that reject him will face eternity in a real place called hell. Now, with that background, let's talk about the Old Testament. First of all, 39 books in the Old Testament. Um, It's somewhat of a historical sequence to it, but not totally. The first five books of the Bible are called the what? The Pentateuch, Penta, five. Pentateuch, uh, it includes Genesis, which is the beginning of everything. And then it's some early history of the Jews. Then we have the second category, the history of Israel, Joshua through Esther. Here we've got 12 books of Jewish history. And if you want a theme for these 12 books, it's this. There's those that obey God and walk in his ways, God blesses. And those that disobey God, that walk in rebellion, that follow idolatry, break the commands or law of God, then they face punishment, they face tragedy, they face discipline in their life. And that's kind of the story of the nation of Israel. It's a story like this. They walk with God, they obey God, they serve God, they do God's wishes, and they're on top of life. But then they forget about God. They assume they did it themselves. Pride takes over. They begin to become worldly. A sin defines them. They become idolatrous, and God judges them. And when they get to the bottom, they say, help God, and they repent, and they turn back to God. Well, that's the whole Old Testament. It's a series of, of, that, uh, of that fashion. The third number of books, five, they're called the poetry books or writings. These are books about wisdom for everyday life. And there's a key phrase that's emphasized. It's the fear of the Lord. And it's the beginning of wisdom. Perhaps a scripture, no scripture summarizes it better than the last scripture of the book of Ecclesiastes written by Solomon. Now, the wisest man who ever lived other than Jesus Christ. Solomon in Ecclesiastes trying to find happiness. That's what most people do today. He tried to find happiness in the meaning of life. He built great buildings. Uh, uh, he, he educated himself. He spent money. He had a lavish lifestyle. He had hundreds of wives. But yet something was missing. And he concluded his book this way. He said, all has been heard. In other words, I've told you everything I explored. Here's the conclusion of the matter. Here's my advice to you on how to live your life. Fear God and he keep his commandments, for this is the duty of all all humanity to fear God, to live. And the fear of God is not being scared of God, but respecting him enough to do what he tells us to do. Verse 14 now, for God will bring every deed into judgment. That's a big word, including every hidden thing, whether it's good or evil. Remember I told you I was going to show you how the Bible fits together? I'm going to use the phrase, the thread of redemption. And redemption means being restored to God, finding a bridge across the Grand Canyon. Well, what this tells us is judgment awaits us because of our sin. Now, lastly, you'll see on the screen, it says there's five major and seven minor prophetic books. Uh, it's, I'm actually made a mistake there. It's not seven minor prophets. It's 12 And uh, the person that caught that was a 10-year-old Bible quizzer. His name was John David. So he... You clapping because of my admission or because of his smarting? Well, anyway, he's going to be preaching next week in case Linnell and her father bomb. No, no, but really, on a serious note there, that Bible quiz, I'll tell you what, 
I have had three children. Two of them went to Christian schools and one went to job to the Bible quiz. And the one that knew, went through the Bible quiz knew more about the Bible than the two that went to Christian school. Just kind of saying it's offered on Sunday morning. But anyway, these books, major and minor, refer not to which is more important, but the length of the book. If you read Jeremiah, it was rich. Uh, I just read it, uh, but it took two months, a chapter a day. Uh, whereas you read, you know, another book, Jonah. Jonah's maybe three chapters. So uh, the prophets, though, wrote these books, or they were written on their behalf. Prophets spoke for God. Just like in the New Testament, uh, 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 Ephesians talks about the value of the apostle and the prophet. Well, these prophets would speak God's word uh, during a crisis. They would call people back to God. They would tell people what God's word were. They would warn them, but they also predicted the future. Portions of the book of Daniel are virtually identical to the book of Revelation. Um, and it is Old Testament prophecy, particularly about Jesus. Uh, if you're skeptical of the claims of Christianity, if you see yourself as an atheist or an agnostic or just not certain, I could not, if you ask me, what can I do to be convinced the Bible's true? I would say, read about prophecy, about how prophecy was fulfilled. For example, in Micah chapter 5, verse 2, it is predicted the city which the Messiah, the Savior, would be born, a town called Bethlehem. 800 years later, in Matthew chapter 2, verse 1, one, Matthew records that Jesus was born in Bethlehem. There are literally dozens and dozens and dozens of prophecies that describe minute details, not just abstractions, but minute details of the life of Jesus Christ. Um, so that's kind of the prophecy. Let, let's, let's, let's spend a moment in the book of Genesis, first book in the Bible. Uh, it's called the book of beginnings. Uh, Genesis chapter one, verse one. I want you to say this with me. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now, that's powerful. In the beginning. In the beginning of what? In the beginning of time. In the beginning of creation as we know it and see it, God was already there. God is eternal. He is pre-existing. He created time. He created matter, and he created life out of nothing. Well, here's the deal. My mind can't comprehend that. I can't comprehend an eternity past. I can't comprehend after the book of Revelation and eternity forward. All I can comprehend is the Genesis to Revelation where time is on earth. You see, my mind can imagine nothingness because all nothingness has a boundary. I can, I, in, in math, I studied the little squiggly line that was infinity, but I really can't grip that in my mind because I'm finite. God is infinite. I am uh, uh, bounded by time. God is eternal. But God created. This is the starting place of true science. Now, science today will either start, when they talk about beginnings, they'll either talk about the Big Bang. Well, duh, this is the Big Bang. <laughs> But from a secular point of view, this, this uh, uh, well, some believe that the universe was pre-existing, that it's just always existed. Uh, others believe that molecules banged into each other and created everything that we see for no purpose and no rhyme and no reason. I think I'm just going to start when the Bible says, in the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. Science reveals wonderful things to us today. They can prove things that are true. They can do experiments. They can replicate outcomes, but they can't go back to the beginning. And I want to encourage you in your understanding of life, 
see God as its provider. The Bible declares there is one God revealed in three persons. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. Now, the teachings of Islam, they believe that we as Christians have three gods, uh, but we are monotheistic, believing in one God, but yet somehow he reveals himself in three persons. The best way I can explain it is the chemical equation H2O. Uh, uh, water, H2O, it can either be a solid, an ice cube, it can be a gas, steam, or it can be a liquid that we drink. It is still H2O, but it's been impacted by the variable of temperature. Somehow, God is three, yet one. Uh, let, me, let me read something about Jesus, the Son of God. We, we, we understand more about God and his nature through Jesus than anything else. We understand a lot about the Holy Spirit through experience and Scripture, but we don't understand much about the Father. But let me read about Jesus from the New Testament. Colossians chapter 1, Jesus is the image of the invisible God. Now, that doesn't mean that, that God has, you know, Mediterranean-type skin or he's six foot tall and dark hair. It means when we see Jesus, we see the character, the values, the heart, uh, uh, the power of God. Uh, by him, by Jesus, all things were created. Verse 17, he is before all things. The Jehovah Witness believes that Jesus was created but not, not, the, not the scripture. The Bible teaches he's before all things. In other words, he always existed, but yet when he came into the womb of Mary, uh, he, he was implanted by the Spirit, and she was impregnated somehow to give birth to the Son of God. He's before all things, and in him all things hold together. There's a lot of fear being perpetrated in the world today about man-made global warming. Let me tell you this, friend. We're not in control of this planet. God is. You do not have to be afraid. Listen, you do not have to, to, have to have to change everything about your life for one degree change in centigrade over the next 30 years or something. Listen, let's take care of the planet. Let's do the best we can. But listen, friends, God is in control of this thing. If you want to worry about something, worry about how close the sun stays from earth. And worry that if we got too far, we'd burn up or we would freeze. And if we got too close, we'd burn up. So, so what, what can the government do to make sure that the sun doesn't, doesn't kill us? <laughs> Jesus sustains all things. He created it. He holds it together. In him, the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. Listen to the redemptive thread. To reconcile to himself, God and man, all things making peace by the blood of his cross. Still in Genesis, God created the first human beings, Adam and Eve, in the Garden of Eden. But in Genesis 2-7, it says, The Lord God formed the man from the dust of the ground, and he breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. You and I did not evolve from primordial, primordial ooze. We did not come from a monkey. We did not come from a reptile. God created Adam. When man was ejected, humanity, from the Garden of Eden, and we began our deterioration, and our deterioration produced a lot of abnormalities, many of which that I think you see displayed in the Museum of Natural History. And there, there's an assumption that there is no God. And Darwin told us that because there is no God, we had to arrive here somewhere at a process without God. Listen, it's foolishness. But that's what modern science is built on today. 
Um, he breathed into his ground. We didn't evolve with no purpose or destiny. God walked with Adam and Eve in the cool of the day. Here's redemptive history. People were created to have relationship with God. But then something terrible happened. The, 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 the entry point of everything that's bad and evil, Satan, a fallen angel, tempted Eve. They disobeyed God and everything changed. They sinned. In other words, they broke the commandment of God and the relationship between God and man changed. The Grand Canyon, as it were, was created and we were isolated. Uh, God said in Genesis 2.16, he commanded the man, you shall not eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. For listen, here's redemptive history. In the day you eat of it, you shall surely die. But you say, well, Pastor, Adam lived hundreds of years. That's right. This death has two meanings. It is prophetic in the sense that you will all die a physical death. But it, is, but it, is, it actually happened at that moment. Another definition of death is a separation from God. The God who was once near is now across the Grand Canyon. But there was hope when they were driven from the Garden of Eden. Genesis 3.21, the Lord God made clothing from animal skins... And these animals, he didn't order off eBay or he didn't get them from Amazon. Two animals died. You say, why did, that, why, why did God do that? Why, why was it such a pain? It was painful for that animal because sin has horrible consequences. And the Bible says that the life is in the blood and there is no forgiveness without the shedding of blood. So when God sent Adam and Eve to the other side of the Grand Canyon, he clothed them with an animal skin to listen, to cover their sin, to atone for their sin. And that's why the whole Old Testament is filled with animal sacrifice. Now the rest of the Bible from this point is an attempt to restore the relationship between humanity and God so we could live with him forever. Let's talk a moment about the Jews the nation of Israel, they were God's chosen people. Uh, originally, Jacob had, had 12 sons. Jacob had an encounter with God. God changed his name from Jacob to Israel. Hence, the nation of Israel uh, was born. Now, they're God's chosen people. They were entrusted with the law and the lineage of Jesus Christ. Let me read you New Testament, the genealogy, and this is incredible. There are three sections of 14 generations between climactic events before Jesus was born. Uh, the record of the ancestors of Jesus, the Messiah, a descendant of David and Abraham. Now, Abraham is key because he's going to teach the whole world something. Abraham was the father of Isaac, Isaac the father of Jacob. Jacob became Israel, and he gave birth to Judah and his brothers. Now, let's jump ahead to the genealogy. Verse 16, another Jacob was the father of Joseph, the husband of Mary, and Mary gave birth to Jesus, the Messiah. So there is a divine hand behind all the events of humanity orchestrating everything towards a predetermined end. Let's remember Abraham a minute. Romans 4, New Testament. This is why our salvation depends on what? Faith. A faith that simply is, I believe in Jesus Christ was the Son of God. I believe it to the degree that I've turned to follow him. Our salvation depends on faith, so the promise of forgiveness may rest on grace, God's free gift, you can't be good enough to go to heaven. So the one who shares the faith of Abraham. Abraham is the father of us all. 
So Abraham, recognized today as the father of Jews, he's our father too because we receive Jesus by faith, by believing in him. Now, let's keep going. God gave the Jews what's called a promised land. It is modern-day Israel. Jerusalem was the main city or the capital, per se. Uh, I was thrilled when President Trump, uh, in his administration, moved our embassy to Jerusalem. See, this is what I say. When I say Western civilization uh, was birthed from a biblical worldview, well, this is what caused that. A famine relocated Israel to Egypt. It set up a deliverance paradigm. Uh, Joseph would go and save them from the famine. And the people were heroes when they came to Egypt. 400 years later, they were slaves. And they built the great temples and the great pyramids of Egypt. So now these slaves, God's ready to take them back to the promised land. And he raises up a man called Moses. Let me tell you what happened. Moses asked 10 times to let, to, for the, uh, let the people go, Pharaoh, to their promised land and make sacrifices. Pharaoh said no until the 10th one. And the 10th plague was, was called, it was a judgment plague. It's called the Passover. Exodus chapter 12, Moses said, each family must choose a, a lamb for what? Sacrifice. This is the redemptive thread. Take some of the blood. Scholars believe that they took hyssop or some, some uh, plant. They dipped it in the, now this is what we would say gross. If you've ever gutted a deer or cleaned an animal or, or the, just the drippings from meat that you buy, blood is there. And they, he took that blood and they put it on the doorpost of their heart and perhaps the symbol of a cross. Uh, you're to take some of the blood, smear it, smear it on the door frames of the houses. This is the Lord's Passover. On that night, I will execute judgment. The firstborn would die in every household. But if the blood was there, that death angel passed over. Listen to what it says. When I see the blood, I will pass over you. Well, guess what's going to happen on judgment day when you stand before God? And you're going to, and, and Satan, <laughs> the accuser has accused me all of my life as being a sinner. Here stands the redeemed sinner, John Miller, because he's redeemed by the blood of Jesus Christ. Here stands the sinner that's been forgiven, who has no more sins, whose sins are, though they be red as scarlet, they have been made white as snow. Next. John 1.29. Think about this. John the Baptist introduces Jesus, whom he knew, the next day he saw Jesus coming towards him and he said the strangest thing, behold the Lamb of God. Huh. The Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Takes it away. See, redemptive history. Jesus was crucified on the Jewish Passover. And lastly in the Old Testament, God gave the Jews the law of Moses and the Ten Commandments. As you read through books of Leviticus and Numbers and Deuteronomy, I agonize sometimes. Uh, you know, all this ceremony and all these things to do to, to be right with God. What was the purpose of all that? One verse in the New Testament, the law was our schoolmaster to bring us to Christ. In other words, the law was meant to be a teacher so you might show you the need that you can't be good enough to save yourself, that, 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 that you are justified by the faith of Abraham. If I ask most people, you do a guy on the street, and are you going to heaven? Yeah. Uh, what would you say to God? Uh, why should he let you into heaven? I've been a good person. 
Well, I've got news for you. You can't be good enough because it only makes one sin to be a sinner. And we have all inherited Adam's sinful tendencies. Well, Moses dies. Joshua brings him to the promised land. And then they grew and prospered under what's called a theocracy. And the theocracy was a form of government where God was joined, uh, where, where, where God, through spiritual leaders, were joined to kings and judges, and the secular leader would be joined to the spiritual leader, and they would lead the nation in the ways of God. Not a bad idea. These prophets warned the people for 700 years. Finally, because of their disobedience, God judged them. Nebuchadnezzar wipes them out. They go to Babylon, but the good news is the story's not over. They're there for 70 years, prophesied. They come back to the promised land, and now they're going to wait for the Messiah to be born there in Bethlehem. Last book of the Old Testament, the book of Malachi. Malachi prophesies of John the Baptist, and guess what? 400 years later, he appears. If you're reading in your Bible, it doesn't seem like much from Malachi to Matthew. It's a page or two, but it's 400 years where God is silent. Now, let's begin in the New Testament. The New Testament's broadly now, uh, 27 books. Is John David here? Is that right? <laughs> 27 books, uh, four Gospels. And a gospel is simply, uh, well, I asked Siri. You know, there's a lot of things I can't trust Siri about. But I, can tr I trusted her today. I said, Siri, what is a gospel? And the first thing she said was, the gospel is the teaching of Jesus Christ. So there's four books in the Bible. They're historical accounts. Don't forget that. They're not just made up stuff, but they were written from the words of eyewitnesses. So Jesus, uh, um, uh, with the life of Jesus, we've got the book of Acts, which is the only book in the Bible that's not completed. Now, I don't mean that we're adding to the Bible, but what I mean is it's the story of the church and the church is not completed. We are still writing the book of Acts today. A part of the book of Acts, you that gave to the Bible fund, which by the way, that was all designated money over $10,000, puts in the hands of 1,400 people, come on now, that don't have Bibles in a Muslim nation that are going to reach their people. This is the work of the church. We sent $7,000 this week to a Christian school in Pakistan who, who, again, no Christian influence for the gospel. The government makes a move every year or two. They're going to be teaching children in the ways of Christ. See, we sent, I think, $1,000 to buy sewing machines this week for, listen now, Muslim girls, girl, young girls, who we either pick cotton or go into slavery and prostitution. And there's a group that's there, Christian group, that's teaching them uh, 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 how to have a trade. So they'll teach them how to have a trade, and we'll give them a sewing machine so they can take care of their life. And they're going to raise up more soul winners for Jesus Christ. Come on now. You say, why are you talking about that? This is what the church does. This is, it's not just about us. Now, let's talk about, uh, uh, again, so the Acts is the history of the church. We've got 21 epistles uh, or letters, and then the book of Revelation that is about a vision of the end of time. Uh, the, now, let's talk about the Gospels a moment, the teachings of Jesus Christ. Uh, Jesus Christ, the Son of God, born to the Virgin Mary. It was not an act of sexual intercourse. Uh, uh, somehow there was what the Catholics call the Immaculate Conception. Jesus, fully God and fully man, he begins his public ministry at age 30 for three years. His miracles attested to his divinity. He had thousands of followers, but he chose 12 
to help carry out his mission. One was Judas that would betray him. And today, Jesus is seated at the right hand of God, waiting to return to earth. Jesus himself said this. Jesus told Pilate in Mark 14, you're going to see me, the son of man, seated in the place of power at God's right hand, coming on the clouds of glory. Now listen, friend, these clouds of heaven. I'm looking forward to Thanksgiving. I'm looking forward to Christmas. I'm looking forward to going duck hunting and turkey hunting and all those things. But there's something more important than that. What's more important than that is the second coming of Christ. Come on now. And being ready when Jesus Christ comes to earth. Let me mention briefly the moral teachings of Jesus. They're embodied in the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5, 6, and 7. If you want to read one place to, to get the essence of what Jesus taught, Matthew 5, 6, and 7. It arguably shaped the foundation of Western civilization regarding our ethics and values. When Jesus was asked to summarize this book, now the Old Testament is two-thirds of it, Jesus was asked, what's the greatest commandment in all the Bible? That should make us pause. Jesus said in Mark 12, you know it, say it with me. The greatest commandment in all the Bible, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and all your strength. In other words, relationship with God. And the second commandment is love your neighbor as yourself. If we would practice that today, listen, I'm glad America has not responded because of the verdict in Kenosha, Wisconsin. I'm glad that it hadn't blown up like it did, you know, in the past. But you know what? If we want to fix what's broken, if we want to fix what's broken, let's talk to people about the Prince of Peace, come on now, who can help us forgive one another, who can help us love one another, and we wouldn't have all this crazy violence, people killing people on the streets. What we have in America today is a perpetuation of racism and violence, not a cessation of it because of the teachings of the Bible have been thrown away. I'm preaching better than you're amening today. Last thing about Jesus, and arguably most important, what he said about our salvation. In Matthew chapter 20, Jesus said this about what he was going to face. He, the Son of Man, would be delivered to the chief priests and scribes. He would be crucified but he would be raised on the third day. And in John 14, 6, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Three definitive articles. No man comes to the Father but by me. Why? Because he is the perfect sacrifice. He is the Lamb of God that met God's conditions to salvation. And a wonderful, comforting word in John 11, Jesus said, I am the resurrection and the life. Listen, whoever believes faith, Abraham, whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. Let's move on. The, the, the book of Acts, the birth and early history of the church. Now, these are some profound, the, a lot of what I shared is history and, and theology. This is purpose for us in today's church. The church began on the day of Pentecost when the Holy Spirit fell on the Jewish believers in the upper room. Peter was the leader, the target was the Jews, and, and Jerusalem was the center. In Acts 13, it shifted. The Jews still did their thing, but Paul the Apostle was sent out. The center of Christianity shifted north to Antioch. Uh, uh, the, the, the focus was not as much on the Jew, but it was Gentile or non-Jewish people. And what they did is they reached people, planted churches all over the Mediterranean world. Now hear me on this. I think this is the next couple are some of the most important. The mission of the church is the Great Commission. 
In Matthew 28, Jesus said, Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them, teaching them all I've, uh, that I've commanded you. In other words, Jesus said after he resurrected, before he ascended to heaven, he said, Christian, I've got one thing for you to do. I've got the most important thing for you to do. I want you to take my truth, the gospel message, to all the nations of the world. And this is why we at Church on the Rock are so committed to world missions. It is our commission. The message of the church, what, it, what, what do we say? The gospel or the good news. And Paul told us what this gospel was. He said, I want to remind you, brothers, of the good news of Jesus Christ. It is more than going to church. It is that Christ died for our sins, the threat of redemption. He was buried and he was raised on the third day. Friends, this is the core of it. And Jesus is coming back one day. How many know Jesus is our message? And Jesus is the way that people get to heaven. The church accomplished its mission. Now, this is powerful. Through the preaching of the people, the sharing their faith, but also through the power and the gifts of the Holy Spirit. You cannot cut this out of the New Testament of the book of Acts. Um, uh, Acts 1.8, such, a, such a, a pertinent scripture for today. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you will be my what? My witnesses to the end of the earth. I will give you the capacity, the ability to do it. I will anoint you and my gifts will propel you. So their method was plain. They preached the gospel. They won souls. They made disciples and they planted churches. Let me say it again. They preached the gospel publicly and one-on-one. -on -one. The Holy Spirit was with them. They won souls to Christ. They made disciples and they planted churches. And Lord Jesus, let Church on the Rock, Texarkana have that same method today. Come on. It is what we do. And the rest of the fabric of the New Testament uh, is 21 epistles or letters. Uh, they were written by Paul and Peter and John, James and Jude. They wrote to churches. They wrote to people. They, did, they were there to teach doctrine, to correct problems, uh, to correct error, to build relationships for the Great Commission. Now, give me five more minutes and let me talk about the book of Revelation. The book of Revelation is the last book of the Bible. It is a vision that was given to John the Beloved, one of the apostles. He was exiled because he was persecuted, and they sent him to the Isle of Patmos. And while John is there in jail, Jesus speaks to him. And he wrote it down. Now, technically, the book was written to seven churches in Asia Minor. And when I tell people to read the book of Revelation, the purpose is not primarily the Antichrist. Come on now. The purpose is primarily, you read those letters to those seven churches. If you want to change your life, if you want to know how to live, you can't do anything about when the Antichrist is going to show up. You can't do anything about the false prophet, but I can do something about, come on, the way I'm living life today. And those seven churches speak to us. But this vision talks about the end of time and the beginning of eternity. Now, if your mind's already wandered to Cracker Barrel, let it wander back. Because I want to tell you, friends, time as you know it will end. One day you will either sell your house, give it away, or you will die. Life on this earth will be over. Revelation talks about things to come. It talks about a one-world ruler called the Antichrist, the mark of the beast, a one-world government. I am amazed and appalled about educated people around the world that are calling us to be a part of a one-world government. 
I think, listen, say what you want to about pre uh, President Trump. The reason he was hated is because he was not a one-world man. He was a nationalist. He wanted America first, and America prospered. This one-world government thing, friend, listen, if it comes in my lifetime, I want to be ready. But if it doesn't come in my lifetime, I'll be happier. You say, why, Pastor? Because there's a lot of believers dying in the book of Revelation. This one world government has no place for a sovereign America and no place for Christians. But the good news, the book of Revelation talks about the second coming of Christ. The judgment of the devil in one verse is all he gets. It talks about the end of time, final judgment, and eternity in a real place called heaven or hell. Now let me give you what I think is one of the most important scriptures of the day. It's called Judgment Day. Everybody, secular person alike, talks laughingly about Judgment Day. But let me tell you about a day that's coming. John saw a great white throne, and God was sitting on this throne. And before him he saw the dead, great and small, every person that's ever lived in this world, Julius Caesar, George Washington, you and I, standing before the throne, and books were open. The context implies these books have recorded everything that every person has said, done, and thought. Books were open, but here's good news. Another book was open, which is the book of life. This is the threat of redemption. These are people that are believers in Jesus, and you escape the judgment of hell. The dead were judged by what was written in the books according to what they had done. I don't care if you were a bad sinner or a good sinner. Sinners are sinners. Come on now. And if you're not forgiven, you don't want to be in this place. If anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. You say, Pastor, surely you don't believe in hell. I do. Why don't you? I'll close with this. Heaven and eternity. We've started in eternity past. We've walked from Genesis down the thread of redemption history and we end up in the last couple chapters in the book of revelation behold the dwelling place of god is with man now here's here's redemption god will dwell with them you you and i will know our father in heaven jesus however you want to say it we will know our god face to face one day god will look at you and he will say steve i'm glad you were there at Church on the Rock, he'll say, Travis, thank you for being so faithful as a pastor. He'll call your name, and the biggest smile will overcome your face. They'll be his people. God will be with him, just like the Garden of Eden. He's going to wipe away every tear. Listen, you that are suffering, he'll wipe away your tears. Death will be no more. My dear friend Tim Hill lost his mom a couple days ago. He's been a faithful mission supporter in our church. He's driven buses. He's built churches all over the world. His mom died. He's grieving. Why did she die? Adam and Eve sinned. The day you eat, you're going to die. But the hope is she will live again. Jesus said, even though they die, yet shall they live if they believe in me. He's wiping away your tears. There's no more death, no more mourning, no more crying, no more pain. The former things have passed away. That's where we're headed, friends, and you can throw your watch away in eternity. Come on. If they put me in my coffin one day before Jesus comes back, don't put a watch on my hand. I do not need it. The last verse of the Bible, Revelation chapter 22, 
He who testifies these things, Jesus is speaking, says, surely I am coming soon. If that was true 2,000 years ago, how much more should it be true today? If you might say, well, pastor, why hadn't he come back yet? He's waiting to populate heaven. He is long suffering. He is wanting people to come to repentance. And the response of John was, amen. Come Lord Jesus. Listen, come Thanksgiving, come Christmas, come duck season, come turkey hunting. But more importantly, come Lord Jesus. Come on, give him a big hand today. He is worthy of our praise. I hope that's helped you understand the Bible in a, in a deeper, more cohesive fashion. But I want to close by reading a scripture and answering this question. What do I do now? You've taught me a lot of stuff, Pastor. What do I do now? I think the book of James has great advice. James chapter 1, get rid of all the filth and evil in your lives. You know... I've been a Christian for, ooh, since 1976. You do the math, long time. I still do things wrong, but I'm, I'm constantly asking God to forgive me and help change me. You, you know, um, there's a lot of things I could do in life and maybe get away with, but I know they would hurt my wife, Linnell, and I would never do it because I love her. I, 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 I love her. Well, in the same motivation, I love Jesus. So don't just deal with your sin because you're scared of hell. I mean, just do it because you love Jesus. But he didn't stop there. Humbly accept the word God has planted in your hearts. What does that mean? Humbly accept it. That is, God is the authority, and I'm the one that's under him. For example, let's say my marriage is gone kaput, and I'm ready to get out of there. You read in your Bible, husband, love your wife as Christ loved the church. And the women to give honor and respect, admiration to her husband. It's his greatest need for his little shrunken ego. And you may say, well, he or she doesn't deserve it. Don't do it because they deserve it. Humbly accept the word of God and live God's word because it's the right thing. Now, here's the big one. Don't just listen to God's word. Do what it says. Do what it says. Otherwise, you're just fooling yourself but if you do what it says and don't forget what you heard, God will bless you for doing it. And I guarantee you, every person wants to be blessed in this life and eternity to come. Here's the pathway, folks. Do what God says. The Spirit will direct us as we live by the Word of God. Come on, give the Lord a good hand today. He is worthy of all our praise. Why don't you stand to your feet? We're going to have a closing song and prayer. They're going to show you a little picture here of our, of our church app. And I want to encourage you to download it. I go here every day. Here's where it says on the bottom, I click on Bible God, and this is what pops up. And today I read Psalm 39 and 2 Corinthians 3. If you can only read one, typically we do an Old Testament and a New Testament. If you can only read one, read the New Testament. But read your Bible. I encourage people to get the Spirit-Filled Life Bible. It's the best study Bible I've ever read. Uh, we're out right now, this, this, this supply chain problem. We'll have them one day. But get your good study Bible and read it every day. And when you read it, let the Holy Spirit speak to you and do what it says. Amen? Read it for yourself. Read it to your children. And generations will be blessed. 
I want to close with a special prayer for a group of people that are here today. If I could be this bold to say, uh, a little too dark there. If I could be this bold to say there's two groups of people here. There's one group of people that look to the cross of Christ and are 100% sure that if they died today, they'd go to heaven. There's one group of people that are not, don't just say they believe in Jesus, but they follow God. And there's one group of us that are not sure. There's one group of us, or maybe honest enough to say that I've never committed my life to Christ. Let me tell you how it works. That cross represents, and as it does, Jesus. When I'm born into this world, I'm as sweet as I can be. But I have a sinful nature in me that makes me want to walk away from God. Something inside me makes me lie, makes me steal, makes me do all those things. But because I do believe in God, I turn around every once in a while and say, God, I'm in trouble. Would you help me? Please get me out of this mess that I'm in. And God does it. And you say, thank you, maybe, but you keep going this way. Well, what it means to be a Christian is you turn your life around and in prayer to God, you say, Lord, I have sinned with my life. And I want to ask you to forgive me, come in my life and be my Lord and Savior. And I'm going to commit to follow you the rest of my life. Maybe that's where you are today, right here. And you're honest enough to say, I'm not sure if I go to heaven or hell when I die, but I want to be sure. I want to commit my life to Christ today. In just a moment, I'm going to ask you to raise your hand and people are going to clap and we're going to pray for you and give you some things that'll help you. Maybe you're here today and you say, Pastor, I, I know what it means to be a Christian, but I've not walked with God. and I, I just somehow, I, I don't know how it happened, but I got away from God. But today I want to come back to God. I'm going to ask you to join us in this same prayer. So if you're here today and you say, Pastor, I want to put my trust in Christ. I want to begin to walk with Jesus and follow him. I believe he's the son of God, the savior of the world. And I want him to be my Lord and Savior. If that's you, would you just lift your hand so we can pray for you right now? Real high. Give him a big hand here. God bless you, buddy. Give her a big hand there. Others, just wave your hand at me so I can see. Anybody else? God bless you. I see your hand back there. Anybody else? Say, pray for me. I need to get my life right with God. Anybody else? I've gotten away from God. Anybody? Yeah, I see your hand here. God bless you. God, I see your hand. God bless you too. Anybody else? I've gotten away from God. God bless you. Anybody else? Say, pray for me. I've gotten away from God, and I want to come back to God. All right, here's what we're going to do. We're going to close with this song. I want to ask you that lifted your hands, move out of your chair and slip over to the cross with Pastor Travis. He's going to pray with you, and he's going to give you something to help you on this journey. Come on, you that lifted your hand. Give one more big hand. Committing my life to Christ. Come on, come on down. Let us pray for you. Come on down, let us pray for you. We want to give you something too. You're not joining this church. We're just helping you get right with Jesus. Come on, let us pray for you. We're going to give you something. We're going to help you in your journey with God. It's the biggest step you've ever made. Even if you didn't raise your hand, you want to get right with God today. Come on down, let us pray for you today as you make things right with your heavenly Father. In Jesus' name. Praise the Lord. Well, listen, prayer team, why don't you come down too? If anyone needs prayer, uh, they'll be here as long as you need them. Michael has the closing song. I love you, and I hope to see you Tuesday night for our communion at 6.30 right here. Sing better is one day. Better is one day in your courts. Better is one day in your house.
continue to sing and worship uh, down here. Our prayer team is also gonna remain down front. If you need prayer for anything at all, please, please, please don't leave without letting us pray with you. But at this time, you are released. Thank you for being here this morning.